There's an ancient Jewish story that goes something like this. There's a poor farmer who was woken up in the middle of the night by uh, an angel. And the angel said, God has found favor with you and wants to bless you. You will be granted three wishes. However, your neighbor will get a double portion of whatever you wish for. So the farmer wakes up his wife and he tells her and they're all excited and they say, we gotta test this out. So they pray that God would give them a thousand cattle to take them out of being poor. And so as soon as they prayed, there was animal noises outside and they opened the door and there was cows all over their lawn and in their field. And he was so excited that he, he was just for the next two days thanking God and praising God and preparing for all these cattle that he had to take care of. So he, uh, the third day, he was up on, on a hill looking about around where to, plant, uh, to build his barn. And he looked out over into his neighbor's yard and saw 2,000 cattle. And instantly, he started to get envious. They have 2,000 cattle. And he brewed on this, and he, and he had a hard time sleeping. But the next morning, he realized he had two more wishes. So he started praying and, and talking to his wife, and they realized they, they want to have kids, so they, they um, made a wish for a, a child. Well, a couple days later, his wife told him she was pregnant, and he was excited the whole length of the pregnancy. He couldn't wait for that baby to be born. And he was praising God and thanking God. And when the baby was born, he was overjoyed. And the next day, he went to the synagogue to thank God for this, this new baby. And as soon as he got done with his prayer, his neighbor came in and said, praise God, I had twins last night. And he instantly went from being so joyful to being enraged and envious of his neighbor. And he couldn't stop this time. It wouldn't go away. So later that night, he prayed that God would gouge out one of his eyes, knowing that his neighbors would not be able to see all the blessings that God has given him. As I listen to this story, my heart breaks for this farmer because instead of enjoying the blessing that he had, he was comparing himself with his neighbor and being maddened by what his neighbor got that he felt like that he should have. He was envious over his enemy's double blessing instead of enjoying his, so his, his joy was crushed. Another reason that this story is so sad to me is because it's a story about me, and it's a story about you, and it's a story about all of us. We all struggle with envy at some point. Envy is as old as the first stories in the Bible. Eve wanted what God had and she didn't, the knowledge of good and evil. Cain wanted the favor of God that his brother got and he didn't, so Eve took the forbidden fruit. Cain took his brother's life. There's an article in Psychology Today that says, envy is a complex cluster of feelings that stems from a very basic desire. You want what you believe someone else has. You want what you believe someone else has. If you grew up with siblings or if you took care of siblings at some level as a parent or as a caretaker or, in any, or you were even around them, I can imagine you're familiar with the constant, almost daily cry, it's not fair. Familiar, right? 
One child looks at another's piece of cake that's bigger than theirs and they want the big piece. Or they look at the toy they have or they look at something that, if, as they get older, they look at the responsibilities that, that they feel they have more than the other. At some level, they look at their brother or sister and think life is not fair. Comparing ourselves with others, comparing what we have with what someone else has, what we have to deal with compared with what somebody else has to deal with, what someone else gets that we feel we should get. These are some of the most natural tendencies that we have as humans. And one of the problems is that we see things from a warped perspective. There was a, a farm boy who got a white football for Christmas, all white. He went out and played with it for a while until it went over the fence. Well, on the other side of the fence, the rooster saw this football, this white football, and he brought the hens out and he said, I'm not complaining, but I want you to see what they're doing on the other side of the fence. <laughs> the rooster looked at this football, he thought it was a huge egg, and his first reaction was to compare the little eggs that his hens were laying compared to the huge hens they, hens, uh, eggs they were laying. See, we often see things from a warped perspective a self-focused perspective. And when we see something that someone else has that we think we're entitled to or we deserve, then we um, are prone to envy. In today's passage, Jesus tells a story that deals with these tendencies that we have towards or comparison and envy. So turn to Matthew 20, but before we read this passage, uh, I want to give you a little bit about what's going on that would prompt Jesus to tell this parable. So in the last half of the chapter before, chapter 19, a man approaches Jesus and asks what he, what he needs to do to have eternal life. And over the course of their conversation, Jesus knows that this man has a lot of wealth and that he's attached to that wealth, that that wealth is his priority. So he tells this man, sell everything you have, and, or give away everything you have and follow me. Well, the man goes away sad because he is not willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. Well, the disciples, they look at this and they're astonished at the commitment that, God, that Jesus is asking. And they said, who can be saved? And Jesus answers, he says, with, God, with people it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so Peter approaches Jesus and he says, well, we've left everything to follow you. What about us? What will there be for us? And so Jesus tells them about the reward that, that is eternal that they have. Well, then he uh, moves into this story after saying this line, but the many who are first will be last and, the last who are, will, and those who are last will be first. But if we back out a little more, we find that Jesus has been talking about how different the kingdom of heaven is than the kingdoms of earth. And so in chapter 16, he says to find true life, you have to give your life to Jesus. And then in chapter 18, Jesus teaches that to get a great position of honor, you have to be humble. And that later, the kingdom of heaven is about forgiveness, even when revenge is warranted. And then in chapter 19, he teaches the rich man that in order to have great wealth, you have to give it away. And then he ends the chapter 19 with this line, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And that sets us up for the, parable, or the story that we find in Matthew 20. 
So let's turn to Matthew 20 and read the first 16 verses. And we've been having you stand for the reading of the word, and this is a sign of respect. But I know that some of you have a hard time, and it's actually hard to focus when you stand up. So if you're able, and if that's the best way for you to show the sign of respect for God's word, then please stand. If not, then listen and and sit and, and read the word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who, hired, those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. You may be seated. Jesus was able to take the common everyday stuff of life and turn them into a story that that teaches profound truth. He did this throughout his ministry. And in this story, he took a common occurrence in Israel, a landowner hiring uh, workers to help harvest his vineyard. Now, I know we don't know anything about vineyards in the Okanagan here, but, you know, when the grapes come, you gotta, you gotta get them. So um, he went to hire, he took this common occurrence that a landowner with a lot of harvest was gonna go and hire some more help. And so he turns this common thing into, a, into an explanation of what the kingdom of, of heaven is like in regards to the first being last and the last being first. So notice that the last verse of chapter 19 and the first verse of, or or the last verse of this story, verse 16, are are just about the same. They bookend this story. And they actually reverse each other. It says in chapter 19, it says, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then in verse 16 of chapter 20, it says the last will be first and the first will be last. So it's bookended by this, this idea that the first will be last and last will be first. And then the story. The story begins as you'd expect. The landowner goes and hires, uh, goes to where he can find some workers. He hires them and he agrees to, to pay them a denarius. That's, that's the typical daily wage. And it's for about 12 hours of work. They would work from about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. as far as we understand. So he goes out. Early in the morning, he gets them, they start working in the field. He must have had a more abundant harvest than he realized because he goes back at nine to get more workers. And then he says, I'll pay whatever's right. 
And then it, it, it might be normal to go back again at noon as you're realizing, ah, oh, there's still more. But I think Jesus is starting to embellish this story a little bit in order to set it up for his point. Because he has the, the landowner going again at three when there's only three hours left, and then again at five when there's only an hour left. And he, he, he does all this to set up the story. And at, at five o'clock, he, he asks the people in the marketplace, you know, why aren't you, why aren't you working? And he t- they tell them they, they just haven't been given the opportunity to work. It's not that they're avoiding work. It's not that they don't want to work. They just haven't been given the chance to be hired. In fact, many of these workers probably would have families that are dependent on them finding work and wouldn't, they would go hungry if they didn't find work. And so they stayed in the marketplace in order to have any opportunity to find some work. So the landowner, he hires these people at five o'clock and then everybody works until till evening, it says, about six o'clock probably, and then comes the twist. He, the, the landowner has the workers line up for their pay from the, those who are hired first to those who are hired last, and he has them paid in reverse order so that everybody will see what's being paid. And, and so he gives those who are hired last a denarius. He gives them what they would have earned if they worked a full day. They only worked an hour when it's a 12-hour day, so they basically earned 12 times the amount that they thought they would be getting. Now, 12 times the amount, the people hired at three, the people hired at noon, the people hired at nine, the people hired at the beginning of the day, they're starting to calculate in their heads. 12 times the amount, what am I gonna get? People at three are like, all right, 12 hours, I worked three, uh, three denarius, I'm gonna get three denarius. The people at 12, they're like, I'm gonna get six denarius, you know? And then the the foreman comes down to the people hired at three, gives them a denarius. And people are starting to wonder, did they make a mistake? What's going on? But everyone gets a denarius. And, and uh, Jesus has brilliantly set up the story because everybody, the, the workers, those he was telling the story to, us who are reading it, we're all feeling the injustice of this situation where uh, Jesus has made those hired first equal to those hired last. These people hired first, they had worked in the heat of the sun, they had worked all day, they, they started early, and they're equal with the people who are hired for only an hour. We feel that it's unfair, and that's exactly how Jesus wants us to feel. He planned for us to feel this way because it's setting up the story for the truth he's about to reveal. He reminds the workers and the listeners and all of us who feel the injustice of the situation that, that um, he agreed to pay and the workers agreed to receive the pay that he agreed, they both agreed to, a denarius. When he first hired these workers, he agreed to a denarius. So his actions may feel unfair, but he kept his end of the bargain. He gave them what they deserved, what they worked for. Yes, he was generous to others, but does that mean he was unfair? And then, the kicker, he says, are you envious because I am generous? And that's where he sticks it right in their heart. The problem was not with the landowner. The problem, even though it's natural for us to feel this way, 
The problem is with the expectations that we started to have because of what we saw when we started to compare ourselves with other people. When the workers started to compare themselves with the other people, they started to get expectations of what they should get based on what other people got. The problem is envy. Mr. Wilson and Mr. Thayer were both seriously ill and they had to be in a hospital room uh, and they were put together because it was, they needed a quiet space, they couldn't have a TV or radio, they had to be away from, from all the noise. And it was a small room, they had two twin beds, uh, a twin bed for each of them, a bedside table, a door going out into the hallway and a window going out into the outside world. Well, they would spend their days, their morning just talking together quietly about their wives and their children and their homes, their jobs, their, um, uh, their hobbies, what they did during the war, what they did on vacations, all this stuff. Well, in the afternoon, Mr. Wilson, who was next to the window, had to be propped up because he had to have some fluids drained from his lungs or something. And, and so when he propped himself up, he would look out the window and he would tell Mr. Thayer about what he saw out the window. Well, Mr. Thayer started to look forward to these, day, these times, these afternoons when he was sitting up looking out the window because he heard all about this. There was a, a park with a field and paths and trees and a, and a lake, and people would sail their model boats on there. They would uh, stroll through the park. Lovers would be holding hands, and softball games would be happening, and, 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 and there was the skyline of a, a city beyond. And, and Mr. Thayer, he, he enjoyed every minute of it. There was a puppy that almost fell in the lake. There was uh, you know, a boy playing with his puppy. It, it, was, it was a place, time when he could almost see what was happening outside. Well, one afternoon, when there was a parade passing by, Mr. Thayer thought to himself, why does Wilson get to sit by the window and see all this stuff? Why, why can't I? see out the window and see all this stuff. And he, he felt ashamed as soon as he thought that, but he couldn't get it out of his mind. He should be able to see out the window. He deserved to be just as much as Mr. Wilson did. And, he, and it, it, it dominated his thoughts. For, he, he felt like he could do anything just for a chance to see out that window. And within a few days, he'd turn sour and he couldn't even sleep and he was getting sicker and the doctors were were concerned and one night as he was staring at the ceiling, Mr. Wilson started to choke and he started to gasp for breath and he's reaching for his call button but he couldn't find it and Mr. Thayer did nothing. And Mr. Wilson kept choking and then finally breathed one last time and Mr. Thayer stared at the ceiling. In the morning, the nurse came in and found Mr. Wilson dead. Didn't make a fuss cleaned up the bed, took the body out, and, um, and then when everything was cleaned up and when Mr. Thayer felt that there was enough time and that the time was decent, he asked if he could be moved into the bed next to the window. And so they, they agreed that that would be fine, so they put him over to the bed next to the window. And when the nurse left, after they got him all comfortable, he propped himself up. It was really tough. He was agonizing to prop himself up just for a peek out the window as soon as he got up there. It was staring at a blank wall. Envy lies to us. Envy begins with comparing ourselves to others and, and seeing something we believe the other person has that we deserve. 
But just like Mr. Thayer didn't know that Mr. Wilson was actually telling him stories from his imagination for his benefit, we don't always know what's going on with the people we're comparing ourselves to. Earlier this week, Pastor Chris and I were talking about this story, and he pointed out that there's dignity in work. These people that were waiting for work, they wanted to work. There was probably shame in not working. How difficult was it for them during those morning hours when they weren't working? But that's just part of the problem. Jesus turned the focus away from the workers, comparing to each other, and back to him. He said, I made agreement with you. That's what the focus should be on, the agreement that we have together. The problem began when the worker turned his focus away and started comparing himself with the other workers. If he would have kept his focus on the landowner and the agreement that that he had made with the landowner, he wouldn't have fallen into the envy trap. One of the truths this story brings out is that we can't look to people around us to determine our worth or our dignity or what we are due. Only Jesus gives us that. And when we focus on him for who we are, what we have, what we're supposed to do, only in Jesus do we find what is good and right and true. And this kind of goes back to Peter's question that started the whole story, the whole process of setting up the story. He asked Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? The disciples were known for arguing among themselves about who is going to be the best in the kingdom. That comes a little later in, in the next chapter, but, but Jesus tells this story to say that it doesn't matter whether you came to Jesus Uh, and worked harder than someone else, if you came to Jesus at a young age and you lived your whole life for him and somebody lived all for themselves and then came to Jesus at the last minute, it doesn't matter whether God gives you a task that seems more difficult than someone else or a burden to bear that's more difficult than someone else. The point is, you have Jesus. In the the kingdom of heaven, when when Jesus returns and he makes all things right and, and uh we're together with him, whatever we have done for him will be worth it. And it will seem so minor in comparison, those things that we burdened with or whatever will seem so minor compared with the reward of knowing him. Yes, the first will be last and the last will be first, but who cares? We've been given life when we deserve death. We've been given more than we deserve, these, these workers, they, they, they wouldn't have had anything if the landowner didn't come along and give them a denarius. That denarius is going to feed their families. The point isn't that, that they're not being given something generously. The point is that God, it looks like he's being more generous sometimes, but we all have more than we ever would if we didn't have him. Jesus is flipping the whole envy thing around and he's saying that instead of thinking about yourself and wishing what you had compared to what other people have or what you wishing you didn't have something, remember what you do have with Jesus and be grateful. And then when we begin to have this kind of gratitude, when we look to Jesus for our worth, for our dignity, for our, for our help, for, for what we're supposed to do, when, we, when, we, when we're focused on him, we don't have to look at other people in comparison. We can look at other people and be joyful with them for what they have. 
when they get something that we may think that, why don't I get? But we can be joyful with them because we, have, we all have, we have Jesus. So we can see someone fulfill a dream. We can see them being recognized for something. We can see them getting the bigger piece of cake and we can be like, yes, that's great, enjoy it. We can rejoice with them. And then everybody's joy increases. The point of the story is that God is a generous giver. We're given way more than we deserve because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and what we get when we put our complete faith and trust in him. We have forgiveness, we have life, real life, we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we have right standing with God as our perfect Father, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms as Ephesians 1 says. Our response is not to look around at other people and wish we had something or didn't have something that they have or don't have that, that, that we feel we deserve, but to be grateful for what we do have and be joyful in our relationship with Jesus. This is our invitation this morning. If you don't know Jesus, you're invited to receive him. If you do know Jesus, remember and reflect on how much he has given you and be grateful. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is a tough passage. It sounds so simple. We shouldn't compare ourselves to others, but it's so ingrained in us to do that. Please help us. You said with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. God, we have the Holy Spirit in us if we know you. We are empowered to do the impossible because of you. So help us to focus on a relationship with you, on what you've given us to do, that you will give us what we need to do what you want us to do, that you only give us what we can handle with your strength, and help us not to look at others to compare, but to look at, at others and rejoice with them when they're rejoicing, and to mourn with others when they're mourning. And help us to lift each other up in that way, to share and be generous like you are when we can. Help us to live out the, the invitation this morning to look to you and to be grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.